Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Go Forth and Golf podcast, episode number nine coming at you. Thank you so much for pushing that play button no matter where you are. I don't know about you guys, but I am enjoying this fall weather. I love the cooler temperatures. I love the fall in general. My birthday is in the fall, so that's always an added plus. But, I mean, I just love it. I love the cooler temperatures. I get so tired of the hot weather. I'm a hot-natured person right now in my life. And, you know, when I'm out there in the heat, it really weighs on me. So when those cooler temperatures come around, they are extremely welcomed as far as I'm concerned. i got a great show for you. This episode, I'm going to talk about the rules of golf again. Part five of a five-part series. This is concluding my rules of golf series. And today, I'm going to do a little combo with the rules of golf. I'm going to talk about rules and how they pertain to a golf ball and also how they pertain to the teeing area. I'm also doing part two of the common mistakes that happen on the golf course. I got some really cool ones for you this time around. I hope you enjoyed and you listened to episode number eight and those common mistakes that I talked about in episode eight. Maybe you thought about that a little bit if you're guilty of those or maybe you told someone that you knew who's guilty of them as well. Either way, I hope they help you and I hope they help you become more knowledgeable about things you should and should not do at a golf course. Again, I got some really good ones for you in this episode. And finally, I got a great guest for this episode, PGA Rules Official Dillard Pruitt. Join me to have a great conversation about the rules of golf and also about his role as a rules official on the PGA Tour. He tells some wonderful stories that you don't want to miss. So thank you to Dillard for taking the time out of his busy schedule to come on the podcast. And I know you'll really enjoy this interview. Remember to come see us at Willow Creek Golf Club, especially since these temperatures are feeling a lot better, right? Our greens are still in fantastic condition. Kyle Trainum, our superintendent, and his staff do a wonderful job. So thank you, Kyle, and your staff for everything you do. Also, our Pro Shop staff is always there to welcome you. Our starters downstairs to handle our golf carts. We always want to make your experience at Willow Creek a pleasurable one, and we look forward to seeing you out there. we got some new Pro Shop items that have hit the golf shop. Fall items, winter apparel, fall apparel that we're really excited about as well. You can go to our Facebook page. You can see a video that we put out there as far as new golf shop arrivals. Willow Creek Golf Club is our Facebook page. Make sure you subscribe to that. You can also get the latest news that comes from the club as well. If you're interested in taking some golf lessons from me, go to my website. It's GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Again, that's GoForthGolfInstruction.com. On there, you can read my teaching philosophy. You can see my rates. And you can also contact me through the website and let me know what's going on with your golf game, some changes that you would like to make, and we will work out a time and a date to get you to the golf course and start improving your golf game. So without further ado, let's jump right into episode number nine. Are you ready? I know I am. Let's tee it up. Oh, he got all of that one. This is part five of my five-part series about the rules of golf. I cannot believe that this is already over. Five months has gone by very quickly. When I first started this, I thought, man, it's going to take me forever to go through all this. But we are here. We are here at episode number nine. 
talking about the rules of golf and concluding this five-part series. So this month, I'm going to talk about the rules of golf and how it pertains to the golf ball and how it pertains to the teeing area. So get ready to take those notes. Let's get going. You've played your ball to the green, you get up there and you're like, you know what, I don't want to play my Pro V1 anymore. I want to substitute a Pro V1X in instead. Can you do that? When are you allowed to drop a different golf ball? Well, the answer to that is you may use a different golf ball anytime you are proceeding under a relief rule. And again, that's under a relief rule only. You want to see rule 6.3B, section 1. The only time you are not allowed to switch out your golf ball is when you're replacing your ball on a spot, such as when you've marked your golf ball on the putting green or you've lifted your ball on the course because it interfered with another person's play. So if you're on the putting green, you're thinking about switching out that golf ball when you mark it, don't do it. You can only do it if you're proceeding under a relief rule. You can also switch out your golf ball before you start the next hole as long as the one ball rule is not in effect. Now, what the one ball rule is, is that if you started with the Pro V1, you need to play a Pro V1 the entire round. Most of the time, that's not going to be in effect unless you're playing in a major golf tournament or a really serious golf tournament. They'll say you have to do that, but most tournaments, that may not be in effect. You always want to make sure you check the rules of the tournament you're playing in to make sure. And of course, if you're out there for a casual round, you don't need to worry about the one ball rule. So again, you can substitute another golf ball in before teeing off on the next hole as well. You pipe a drive right down the middle. You walk up to your second shot. You knock it two feet from the pin. Jump in your golf cart. You're feeling pretty good about yourself right now. Getting ready to take off to go up to the green. Tap in that birdie. Your buddy looks at you and says, Man, you just hit my golf ball. That wasn't yours. That was mine. What in the world do you do in that situation? Terrible feeling. I think we've all been there at some point in time of our life. We've hit that wrong golf ball. What do you do? What happens? Well, in a match play, you're going to incur a loss of hole penalty, unfortunately. In stroke play, you're going to get a two-stroke penalty, and you must correct your mistake by playing your ball. You want to see rule 6.3, section 1. Now, if your ball is lost, say you hit it out of bounds, and you can't find it, then you must proceed under stroke and distance. You're on hole number 16, you knock it left into the trees, and you can't find your golf ball. So you reach in your bag to pull out another one, and you realize, uh-oh, I'm out of golf balls. You turn to your buddy and say, hey man, can I borrow a golf ball? I'm out. I have no more nuggets left. Can you do this? Are you allowed to do this? And the answer to that question is yes, you may. You may get a golf ball from anyone. You want to see rule 4.1a, section 1. You're ready to make your chip shot up onto the green, and you look down, you see this big glob of mud on your golf ball. Are you allowed to clean that? The answer to that is you may clean your golf ball any time it is lifted, except when you're lifting it to see if it's cut or cracked, if you want to identify it, or if you want to see if it lies in a condition where relief is allowed. You want to see rule 14.1c for this ruling. All right, let's talk about the teeing area. First off, how big is that area that you start the hole, the teeing ground? Well, when you're starting the hole, 
You must start from that teeing area, of course, and the teeing area is a rectangle that is two club lengths deep from the front edge of the tee markers. And you want to see the definition of a teeing area in the rules of golf. It's real easy to look up. So remember, when you tee that ball up, you can go two club lengths backwards from the front edge of the teeing markers. And sometimes that can play to your advantage, especially if you need to start out by hitting a high ball up over some trees. Having that two club links going backwards can give you a little bit more room to do that. So always remember you can go two club links behind those tee markers if you need to. You tee off and then you realize that you played from outside the area where you were allowed to tee your golf ball when starting the hole. Of course, the teeing area or from the incorrect tee markers. Maybe you thought you were supposed to be playing the blue tees in a tournament and you played from the white tees instead. What do you do? When match play, you don't have to do anything unless your opponent chooses to cancel your stroke and makes you replay your shot. And you wanna see rule 6.1b, section one. And stroke play, you get a two stroke penalty and you must correct your mistake by playing within the teeing area or from the correct tee before proceeding, you want to see rule 6.1b, section 2. You're in the teeing area, and you feel like the tee marker's in your way. You're like, you know what, I can cut this dog leg off a little bit more if I just move this tee marker out of my way. I'm going to tee it right here. Can you do that? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. You are not allowed to move the tee marker when you're playing from the teeing area and you want to see rule 6.2b section 4 but when your ball is outside the teeing area on another part of the course and that tee marker is maybe going to interfere with your swing you are allowed to move them again as long as it's not on the hole that you're teeing off from you're on the first hole maybe you're feeling those first hole jitters you set up behind the golf ball, place your driver behind the ball on the tee, and then you flinch a little and that ball falls off the tee. Of course, that is followed by your playing partner saying, that's one, and then laughing hysterically. You're embarrassed, you're not sure what's going on, why did that happen? What do you do if your ball falls off the tee? Well, if your ball falls off the tee before you play your stroke, there is absolutely no penalty and you may put it back on the tee. So don't believe your buddies when they say that's one. It's not. You may also choose if you wanted to to move your tee to another spot in that teeing area or you could also change golf balls if you wanted to. And you want to see rule 6.3 for this ruling. So don't let your buddies fool you next time. You accidentally knock it off the tee. It's okay. You can re-tee it with absolutely no penalty. That concludes the rules of golf and how they pertain to a golf ball and the teeing area. So I have went over the following. When can you drop a different golf ball? What do you do if you play a golf ball that wasn't yours by accident? Can you borrow a golf ball from someone? When is cleaning the golf ball allowed? How big is the actual teeing area? What do you do if you play from outside of that teeing area? Are you able to move a tee marker? And then finally, what do you do if your ball falls off of a tee? So I hope these have made you more knowledgeable as it pertains to the golf ball in the teeing area. And most of all, I really hope that this five-part series of the rules of golf have made you more comfortable with the rules. Please understand that the rules are there to help you. They're not there to hurt you. 
The rules of golf can be very intimidating to a lot of people. I overheard someone saying not long ago that picking up a rules book was like trying to read a foreign language to them. It was almost impossible. It's really not that bad. The rules of golf have definitely changed for the better. The rules of golf book has definitely changed with a lot of visuals like I've mentioned in previous episodes. And there's apps out there that you can also download that can help you with that. The wonderful thing about Google these days is you can a lot of times Google a ruling and it'll pop up for you. So the rules of golf are much easier to interpret now than it has ever been. Please don't let them intimidate you. Always remember they're there to help you, not hurt you. If you guys have a ruling of your own and we'd love to reach out to me, please do so. I'll look it up for you and get back to you in a prompt manner. Always love hearing from all of you. Again, hope you've enjoyed them. And I hope that you'll get around the golf course in a lot more comfortable fashion. And most of all, have a great time. Doing the bull dance, feeling the flow, working, working it. If you're looking to put your golf game to the test, I have got the perfect solution for you. The USAM Tour is a nationwide series of amateur golf tournaments open to anyone that wishes to compete on the local, regional, and ultimately the national level. Their mission is very simple, to provide an unrivaled, immersive, and comprehensive tour and tournament experience for competitive amateur players of all abilities and ages. Most amateur players hear the word tour and think they're not good enough to compete. Well, I'm here to tell you that is the furthest thing from the truth. All events utilize gross scoring as players compete in different flights only against players of similar ability from their championship flight, that's the 3.9 handicap or less, to the Tiger flight, which is 20 handicaps and above, and every flight in between, they've got you covered. The USAM Tour operates single round and multiple round golf tournaments across the country at the best public and private venues. Tour players enjoy camaraderie and compete for bragging rights, order of merit points, prizing, and trophies at every event. All season long, points accumulate and the best players from each local tour earn their way to the national championship. How cool is that? Their season begins in October and runs through August 2021. Sign up between now and December 31st and pay only a $99 entry fee. That's a $40 savings. Don't miss out on this great deal. Sign up today. Put your game to the test. Not only will you experience great golf courses, but a great amateur golf tour as well. So don't waste any more time. Get started on a great amateur golf tour experience. Visit their website at usamtour.com. Again, that's usamtour.com. And I'd like to thank them for being a sponsor of this podcast. In this episode, I'm back again with the common mistakes that happen on the golf course. I got some really good feedback from the last episode. A lot of you agreed. Actually, everybody I spoke to, thankfully, agreed with all the common mistakes that I mentioned in that podcast. So thank you for your feedback. I'm glad that you agree. I'm glad that it's going to help you or someone you know not to do those things uh, on the golf course or uh, as you arrive to the golf course in the case of showing up late, right? So I've got more. I've got more. I think this is going to really help you and I'm excited about this list this week. So get ready to take some notes because here we go. Well, we're waiting. Leaving a golf club behind is definitely one of the most common mistakes you will see at a golf course. 
And you don't really fully understand this unless you work at a golf course and see the abundant amount of golf clubs left behind. Our storage room is jam-packed, unfortunately, with clubs that people just left behind over the years. And there's ways to prevent that. The most obvious way to prevent you from leaving a club behind is just simply placing your club between you and your golf cart. So you literally have to step over it on your way to your golf cart. So obviously wedges are the most common thing left, right? Because a golfer is hitting a wedge shot or chip shot up to the green. They lay their wedge down to go up and putt and they completely forget about it. Putters, on the other hand, I have absolutely no idea how people leave a putter behind. The only thing I can think of is just got really ticked off because they missed a putt. They just helicoptered it across the green over into the rough and said the heck with it or just forgot about it or whatever. That one I just I don't understand. But mid-irons, that's another one that people leave behind. They hit their shot up to the green and they just grab their putter and look at their playing partner and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to walk up to the green. Uh, you can go ahead and take the card up there. And then they lay their club down when they get there and simply forget about it. So, again, just putting that golf club in a spot that you know that you can't miss it whenever you're walking back to your cart will help you a lot. And it will definitely eliminate this common mistake. It's nice to go out for a big breakfast, you know, with your playing partners before you head to the golf course. You go to the Cracker Barrel, you load up on some pancakes some sausage, maybe some eggs, some coffee. Great. It's great food. But really not a good idea if you're getting ready to head to the golf course. You don't want to stuff your face before you tee off. The reason why you don't want to do this is because there is a lot of digestion that has to take place of that food. And you don't want that happening during your round. So I recommend eating light before you go play golf. And especially if you make the turn you want to try to eat light as well. It's not a good idea to stuff your face with a gigantic hamburger or a hot dog because, again, that's going to be digesting on the back nine. I don't know how many of you guys have experienced this. I have. You make the turn and you stuff your face with that delicious food and then you play like crap on the backside. I find that I play better if I eat extremely light before and during the round because it just helps me stay focused better. It gives me more energy. Or I'm trying to be smart about what I'm eating during the round. Healthy snacks, such as a protein bar, for example, and drinking plenty of water. That will also help you not only maintain focus, but also maintain energy. So watch what you're eating before you go out and play and while you're playing, because that slow digestion of the food can affect your game in a negative manner more than you can possibly realize. Not getting fit for golf clubs is another common mistake that I see quite often. And there's a misconception when it comes to being fit for golf clubs. A lot of golfers who feel their game's not very good or they're not as advanced as they should be feel that club fitting doesn't benefit them. But that is absolutely not true because if you're learning the game and you're learning with equipment that's not fit correctly, that could really form some bad habits that you don't want in there. And just the opposite of that, if you are a good golfer or an experienced golfer and you're playing with clubs that aren't fit for you correctly, that's going to hinder your progression from becoming an even better golfer. And it could develop some in-swing issues uh, like such as club plane or club path problems. And it could also affect the direction due to the fact if your lie angle is not set correctly, you can miss the ball left or right 
too often. I have a good player that I'm working with currently, and his golf clubs were set too upright, and he was hooking everything or drawing everything a little too hard at times. So we bumped his clubs flatter, and it straightened his ball flight out uh, significantly. So club fitting is really, really important, not just from the standpoint of what I just mentioned of lie angle, but shaft flex. Are you playing the right shaft for you in terms of graphite or steel? Is it the proper flex? Is Should it be a regular? Should it be a stiff, for example? Are you playing with the correct grip and as far as grip size? Is the grip too small? Because if it is, it could cause you to over-rotate the club face. And if it's too big, it could cause you to under-rotate that club face. So shaft flex, shaft tight, grip size, lie angle, those are all very, very important. Also, the style of club that you're playing. Should you be playing something with more forgiveness or less forgiveness? Again, that just depends on the quality of player you are and your handicap range. Obviously, if you're a mid to high handicap golfer, you need to play with something that offers more toe or heel mishit forgiveness for you. And also with a driver, you know, having the right driver in your hand is equally important really across the back. I mean, the putter, the driver, the wedges, the irons, everything. I highly suggest you go get fit because you want to make sure that you're playing with equipment that's not going to hinder you. And it's also going to help you progress your game quicker. So go find a fitter close to you locally here in the upstate of South Carolina. You can go to Golf Galaxy. My son, Nick, that I've mentioned in past podcasts, he does club fitting. Just go seek out a fitter wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this. There would be a custom club fitter somewhere in your area that is very knowledgeable about what you'll need to improve your golf game and that will keep you on the right track towards your goals. And most importantly, help you enjoy the game a whole lot more. Not aiming at something specifically or aligning yourself improperly is also another mistake that you see quite often out there. Harvey Pinnock put it perfectly when he said, take that aim. You always want to take that aim at your target. Find something out there that's very specific that you want to hit at. The analogy I use with a lot of my students is, if you're throwing darts, you're never trying to hit the dartboard you're always just trying to hit the bullseye. And if you miss the bullseye, guess what? You're probably still going to hit the dartboard. And that's really important in golf as well. Find something really small out there in your fairway that you're trying to hit or behind the green, or maybe it's the flag stick itself. Take dead aim at your particular target and practice that way as well. That's another mistake I see quite often is golfers will go out to practice and they're just out there hitting range balls. They're really just exercising because they're not really hitting at anything specifically. So it's important to find specific targets to practice towards or practice hitting towards because if you're doing that, you're actually going to improve your game and make it a lot easier for you when you get out to the golf course. If you're not practicing hitting at specific targets, when you get to the course and you have specific targets that you're required to hit, then we start feeling a lot more pressure and we start tightening up. And again, because we never practice properly. So find something to aim at. Take that aim at your target, again, to quote the great Harvey Pinnock, and you'll be amazed at how much your game is going to improve. Are you playing the right tees for your golf game? Honestly, that's a question that a lot of golfers need to ask themselves. I've seen situations where golfers are playing too far up, but most of the time it's a situation where golfers are playing way too far back. But playing the wrong tees can be detrimental to your game 
For example, if you're playing too far up because maybe you're scared of a challenge, you think, I'm not good enough to go back and play, or I'm scared to go back and play a tee box that's further back than where I normally do because I'm afraid I'm going to shoot a bad score. That's okay. You need to challenge yourself. You need to see if you're able to handle those tee boxes. On the flip side of that, if you're playing too far back because maybe your pride, maybe your ego is getting in the way and saying, nah, I don't need to play anything less than 7,000 yards, man. But that, again, can be detrimental to your game because you're not quite at the level you need to be at in order to be playing from those tees. We've all seen those golfers before. Maybe we're playing behind them in a group, or maybe they're in our group. They're playing tees that are too challenging for them. They struggle. Pace of play is compromised and their score is compromised on top of all that it makes them frustrated and they just they don't have a good time you seriously need to sit down and evaluate the tees that you're playing from i think there's too much emphasis put on age and what age you are determines what tees you play from i've seen guys in their 60s or 70s that absolutely bomb it and if we're going off age they really need to be playing the senior tees but length of their drive dictates something else the usga and the pga of america come up with a diagram or a chart i should say that helps you to evaluate what tees you should be playing from if you come out to willow creek we have a little hallway where our water fountain's located and there's an info board in there and on that board i've got that chart listed there and it basically breaks it down to how far you hit your drive determines the length of the golf course that you play and there's a chart on there and you can kind of correlate the distance you're hitting it to the course length you need to be playing and then it categorizes it further into which tees you should be playing at Willow Creek. So really take a look at the tees that you're playing. Are you playing too far up? Are you playing too far back? It's really important that you evaluate that. Blowing up on the golf course or getting extremely angry because you mishit a shot or you had a bad hole is tremendously unattractive. Usually if somebody's getting that upset about the game of golf, this is something that we're all blessed with, right? We're out there, we're able to play the game, we're able to enjoy the camaraderie of our fellow golfers, we're able to enjoy a beautiful golf course, all those things. If you're getting that upset in that environment, I'm willing to bet there's something else going on in your life that's triggering this. So you really need to take a long, hard look at yourself and find out why are you getting that angry over the game of golf? It's okay to be competitive. It's okay to hold yourself to a certain standard. It's okay to have expectations. But it's not okay to get out there and quite frankly make an ass out of yourself when you're not playing the way you want to play because those around you, they don't want to hear it. And they may not want to play golf with you anymore. Have some acceptance. Have acceptance of those things that aren't going your way and figure out a new way of dealing with that without lashing out because not only is it tremendously unattractive, but it's also very detrimental to your golf game. Please be more aware of your actions. Try to stay calm. Take deep breaths. Put things in perspective. And let's limit those blow-ups on the golf course. You hit a terrible golf shot. You throw your arms up in disgust. You look to the sky but you have absolutely no clue where your golf ball went. You turn to your playing partners and you say, did anybody see where that ended up? Thank goodness there's usually somebody in your group that will be the one that's more attentive and they'll watch everybody else's golf ball. But it's really important, even though if you miss a golf shot or maybe you hit it well and you got so pumped up you just started walking to your golf cart, you need to watch your golf ball. See where it's going because that's going to also help with pace of play. And we need to be aware of where our golf ball is at all times. You may hit one right down the middle, but God forbid it could hit a sprinkler head and kick it 
dead left on you. And you get up there and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I should be in the fairway. Where's my golf ball? Well, you weren't watching it and you didn't see where it went because it hit the sprinkler head and knocked it offline. So make sure you do a better job of watching your golf ball until it lands and then head to your golf cart and proceed to that next golf shot. What kind of wedges do you have in your golf bag? How many wedges do you have in your golf bag? This is something that is another common mistake that golfers don't carry enough wedges or they may not be carrying the right wedges, meaning the incrementation between lofts is way off. There's that irritating distance gap between the sand wedge and the pitching wedge, and most golfers, they won't have that gap wedge or that U wedge uh, with ping, I believe it is, or A wedge with TaylorMade in their bag. As a former club fitter, that's a huge part of my background. I would always try to encourage anywhere from four to five degrees incrementation between wedges. So for example, if your pitching wedge is 46 degrees, you need to have a gap wedge that would be around 50 degrees. And then you would want to have a sand wedge starting at say 54 and then go 58. Some pitching wedges are 48 degrees. So then you want your gap wedge to be 52. You want your next wedge to be a 56, and then you want to have a 60 degree. That's the incrementation I have in my bag. Make sure that you check your golf bag, that you have a really good arsenal of wedges in there because short game, as we know, is extremely important. And if you don't have the right weapons in your bag, you can't attack that pin the way you need to. Wedges are very, very important. So go check those lofts. Let's make sure we're carrying the right wedges in our golf bag. The last common mistake that I want to talk about, and I feel like it's extremely important, is how fast are you swinging? What is the overall tempo of your golf swing? I see this quite often when giving lessons. Tempos are really, really fast. And, you know, I am guilty of it myself. We get on the golf course, we get excited, we get nervous, we get frustrated. Whatever motion that's going through us at that time causes us to do two things. Number one, grip it too tight. Number two, swing way too fast especially when we get that driver in our hand. There's something about the driver. We know we're supposed to hit it a long ways, and then we start swinging out of our shoes with it. Check your tempo. Also, if you have a very quick tempo, it could cause a terrible transition into your downswing. Most commonly, an over-the-top or cast move from the top because we're really rushing it. We're trying to get back to impact and hit the golf ball as opposed to swinging through the golf ball and just let the golf ball get in the way of that. It could also affect your timing on whether or not your club face is open or closed at the impact position. Slowing everything down is really important to make sure that we're in rhythm and we're in balance and that we can time our golf shots a whole lot better. A great training aid for that is the Orange Whip training aid. If you go back to one of my prior episodes, I interviewed the owner of Orange Whip, Jim Hackenberg, and he talks about all the advantages that you can gain from having that training aid. And one of those is tempo. It just really helps produce that rhythmic golf swing that a lot of people are lacking. Because of what I mentioned earlier, there's just a ton of emotions going through us sometimes. And we're thinking too much about trying to hit it, get the shot over with so we can get to the next one. As opposed to making that nice, rhythmic, flowing golf swing. So check the tempo of your swing. Maybe create that little bit of a pause at the top of the swing. Not long. It's going to feel like forever to you. 
but just maybe a slight pause at the top that'll just help with that transition and of course making sure your takeaway is nice and smooth don't rush it let those arms get spread out away from your body create that nice wide swing arc and that will really set the tone for the overall golf swing if we jerk that club back really quick you're telling your overall golf swing to be really fast so start it out nice and slow and you'll be amazed at what you'll find in terms of your contact and your direction. That concludes the common mistakes that I feel take place on the golf course. So in today's episode, I talk about nine different common mistakes. Leaving a club behind, stuffing your face before or during your round, not getting fit for golf clubs, aiming at absolutely nothing whenever you're out there playing, and practicing playing the wrong tee boxes whether you're playing too far up or you're playing too far back exploding getting angry out there on the golf course not watching your golf ball long enough not carrying the correct wedges in your golf bag especially the spacing in terms of loft between those wedges and finally swinging way too fast if you have not had a chance to go back and listen to part one of this series please go back and listen to episode eight I really hope that everything that I've talked about will resonate with you well, that you will consider if you're doing some of these things, that you will maybe point someone in the direction of this podcast that you know is guilty of some of these things, that they could be better educated. Whatever the case may be, I want the fact that I pointed out these common mistakes to help you, to educate you, and to help your golf game and everyone else's golf game around you. If you know of a common mistake that takes place out there and that I may not have covered in the last two episodes, come talk to me about it. Shoot me an email about it. I love to further the conversation with any of you about some of those common mistakes that happen on the golf course. Oh, yeah! Woo-hoo! <laughs> you gotta love that! Woo-hoo! You like that, baby? Let him know where I came from, yeah! It is now time for the interview section of the show, one of my favorite parts of the show. You know what? I got to thinking, what better way to conclude the Rules of Golf series than to have a PGA Rules official on the show? So I've brought in Dillard Pruitt to be my guest today on this episode. I cannot thank Dillard enough for coming on the show and taking time out of his very, very busy schedule. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with him. Dillard has been a PGA Rules official for over 20 years, so he has a ton of experience. Told some great stories about some of the wackiest rulings he's ever had to make, one of them involving Tiger Woods. He also talks about pace of play, his view on pace of play on the tour, some of the most frustrating things about his job, some of the things that are most rewarding about being a PGA Rules official out there on the tour, and also what advice would he give listeners on becoming more knowledgeable. So we talked about so many more things Again, a fantastic conversation with him, and I really think you're going to enjoy this interview. I want to give you a heads up before you listen to the interview. My microphone wasn't working the way I wanted it to. You can still hear me great. Just going to sound a little bit different, but Dillard comes across perfectly. So again, without further ado, let's head right into that interview with PGA Rules official Dillard Pruitt. Dillard, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for uh, and coming on the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Steve. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. So let's take a little trip down memory lane, if you don't mind. You started your golf career on the PGA Tour and then, of course, later became a rules official on the PGA Tour. 
what led you to pursue a career in golf and then also uh, a career as a rules official? Well, uh, I, I did, I did play in Europe a little bit before I played on the PGA tour, but uh, that was uh, 86 and 87. Uh, I played in Europe. 88 was my first year playing on the tour. And I played, I, I, my last year was 1996. Uh, I was lucky to have met, you know, some of the rules staff. And I guess I never, I never burnt any bridges there. Uh, you know, but when I quit playing, I really did not know what I was going to do, but I was lucky enough to get a call from one of the head rules rules officials. He's one of the tournament directors. His name was Arvin Ginn. He was from, from Mississippi and Arvin called me and asked me if I would be interested in, in, uh, in joining the rules staff. Uh, they were looking to have some, uh, some turnover, uh, on the staff. You know, he had talked to some of the other guys and, and, and they thought I might be a good fit. You know, would I come out and, and just kind of, uh, ride around with them? They just wanted to fill me out and see how I would fit in. I guess some of the good parts of, of hiring me was the fact that I knew the travel on the road, and that is a big part of the job, you know, but I, I, I knew the golf courses, I knew the game. The rules, which was the big part of the job, was, was where I needed to, uh, to work on. And I volunteered, you know, in the state and in the Carolinas uh, to do some tournaments to get a feel for that. And uh, I actually got hired uh, by the tour it was uh, late, late of 97. So 98 was my first full year of working for the tour. And I don't know if Kyle told you or not, but I contacted the tour about three weeks ago and told them that this year was going to be, it's going to be my last year working. So it, I would have done this for 22 years. Wow. Congratulations on that. I'm sure you, I guess that's a, a huge accomplishment for you to be able to step aside and maybe enjoy life a little bit more, maybe go play golf a little bit more. <laughs> well, Steve, I, I got to be honest with you. I think what got me thinking about retiring was this downtime, you know, when we, uh, when we had only played, I guess we only played one round at, at the players championship. And then we, we were set to play Friday, but we didn't play and, you know, didn't know how long it was, we were going to be down. But I think the four months that I was at home, I was worried, you know, thinking about retirement, I was worrying about what I would do. Well, I tell you what, I, I had a great time when I was, yeah. when I was not <laughs> traveling. And uh, I did. I, I came out to your, your course uh, several times, and I got together with uh, three of my college teammates and, uh, from Clemson, and we played, we played about seven or eight Saturdays in a row together, had a good time. I, I, I didn't win yard of the month, but I should have a couple of times. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I just needless to say, I wasn't bored. And, uh, and that kind of, kind of got the wheel spinning a little bit. I got to know there, there has to be a lot of preparation that goes into your job prior to a PGA tour event. Talk to me a little bit about that preparation you have to go through before you enter an event and be a rules official for an event. Well, uh, as far as the rules and the competition staff goes, uh, there's always one of us that is at a tournament site the week before the tournament. Uh, the tour sends an agronomist uh, to that site a week before as well. And basically, the agronomist and myself, along with the superintendent of that golf course, 
you know, our main job is to try to is, is getting the golf course ready, you know, for tournament play. And the agronomist from the tour, he's been in, in contact with that superintendent, you know, throughout the year. Uh, so there, it's just fine tuning and uh, getting ready. You know, my job that during that advanced week, my biggest job is to, uh, to mark the golf course, to find the boundaries, you know, mark the uh, what we used to call hazards, but we call penalty areas now. That's, that's my biggest job. You know, a, a hard advance over an easy advance all depends on how difficult the golf course is to mark. You know, you've got an easy, easy marking golf course. It's uh, it's pretty easy uh, advance week. But on the flip side of that, you know, like a Hilton Head, Harbor Town. You know, you would think that it would be a pretty simple mark, but there's boundaries basically on every hole, and on most of them, it's two sided. And it takes almost a good two and a half days solid to do the boundaries. You know, we just have to make sure that it's marked and it's hemmed up and we can read stake to stake and, you know, no, no errors allowed, you know, in, in certain, in some situations like that. But you form relationships with, with the tournament people, uh, the superintendent, uh, the operations people, you know, at that tournament. And trust me now with, with all the protocols and stuff that are that go in with uh, with testing the the COVID testing, there's there's a lot more, and that doesn't necessarily fall on me, but there are a lot of people at the tour to get us playing again, starting in June. The Colonial was our first tournament, it was in Fort Worth, Texas. There were a lot of people that got together, worked really hard to get the tour playing and, you know, really proud of the organization coming together and doing what they did just to get us back playing, you know, hopefully soon we're going to, we're going to probably have some fans and we'll get back to some pro-ams, you know, on the PGA tour, uh, the champions tour have had a few and, and, uh, and the, the corn Ferry tour has had a few, but we haven't yet, but I think we're supposed to have some coming very soon. Is there any golf course that comes to mind that's probably the most uh, difficult to get prepared before an event? Well, Hilton Head uh, is a tough one, but uh, I used to do the advance at uh, Sugarloaf uh, for the Atlanta Bell South Classic back in the day. It was a very difficult mark. And it, basically it all deals, uh, Steve, with the boundaries. You know, I, I advance at Pebble Beach and – you know, you can imagine that coastline. You have to mark that, and you're hoping that it's not too windy, and you're hoping that the sun's shining, and you can't do it in a golf cart because it's very dangerous. Uh, but, you know, you've got plenty of time to do it, and hopefully you have good weather. I've been lucky that, that I haven't been rained out. You know, if, if you were to have three or four days of rain, you know, you're going to have to get out and do it in that. But I've been lucky in my career that I didn't have really any issues like that. What would you say is one of the most rewarding things about your job? You know, this sounds kind of stupid, but just completing the tournament successfully is, is a great achievement. We take a lot of pride in it. You know, we have t television finish times on the weekend and trying to, you know, get the players around and, and getting, you know, normally our finish times are 6, six o'clock Eastern time. Mm -hmm. and uh and trying to finish you know and hit those times 
it's very it's it's rewarding, you know. But when you deal with the players and and see the young players come up and 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 grow into gentlemen and and ambassadors of the game, you know, that's also a you know rewarding part of the job as well. Sure. Well, on the flip side of that, what would you say is the most frustrating part about your job? Uh, rain delays, tough weather. The one of the goals of the PGA Tour is playing opportunities, and and playing opportunities uh, during daylight savings time. You know, we play 156 man fields. That's a lot of people on a golf course. You know, trying to organize that and and keep those players going around. And every golf course has its unique qualities, meaning there are some holes that are reachable par five, maybe are drivable par four. And, you know, basically where you have built-in weights, you know, and just dealing with stuff like that, whether I agree with playing 156 players, that doesn't matter. That's what we do. That That's probably some of the frustrating part is, just trying to, you know, those long days in the summer. Uh, in the south, you have those thunderstorms. You know, they, they come up. They're You know you're going to have them. And just when when's it going to happen? Getting the players off the golf course, getting the players back on the golf course to resume, uh, that can be some of the most frustrating parts. Sure, absolutely. Well, are most – I've always wondered, are most PGA Tour players knowledgeable about the rules of golf, or is it their caddy? that knows more about the rules than they do. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, Steve, I, I would say that the, that the players are, uh, I would say 50, 50. And, and, and I would, I would have to say with the, the rules changes, you know, here recently, we're probably getting a few more calls just because the drop process is different things that you can do in the hazard that hazard penalty area that you used to, you know, not be able to do. And we're probably getting more, you know, these first couple of years with the changes than we did in the past. They're just nervous. You know, they're nervous about making a mistake. It might be on television and, and it, you know, it might cost them. And uh, so I think that's what they're nervous about and the reason why they call. But, you know, certainly these guys can get themselves off cart paths and off of obstructions, you know, a sprinkler head or a, something in a fair way. Uh, but I would say it's about 50, 50, you know, I think there's, there's a couple players, you know, Phil Mickelson is, you know, there, there's some players, Jim Furyk, there's some guys that are, are very good with the rules, you know, and I think it's important that they know that, you know, because that is their job. And I think that's, that's a good thing that they do know, but if it's a little gray, they'll, they'll call, you know, simply because they don't want to get, they don't want to get met, you know, in the scoring area and, uh, and told something, you know, was, they did something wrong. Sure. We saw at the U S open, the Shambo, uh, asked the rules official come over about that, uh, the drop, get a, it's near sprinkler has the fringe. Right. And, uh, and I think that was just sort of out of safety. I think, yeah, I kind of heard him say that. Just want to make yeah. sure I'm doing this correctly. Absolutely. And then, you know, I guess that's job security for me, <laughs> but, sure. but, but, uh, but it's a good thing. There's a lot of money at stake and, and you're on television and <clears throat> we do get phone calls, people watching television and stuff like that. And it's just always good. It's always a good idea to call. 
you mentioned Phil and uh, Jim Furyk were pretty knowledgeable, but out of all the players on the tour that you've worked with, who would you say is probably the most knowledgeable about the rules? You know, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go with Phil. I, I mean, I've, I've had situations come into situations with him with some of the trickier TIOs, which is a temporary movable obstruction, which, you know, we have a lot of that. That would basically be grandstands, you know, skyboxes, temporary scoreboards, bathroom areas, you know, that are on the golf course placed out there, you know, for that specific event. And uh, he's always, it's always caught me uh, off guard a little bit how, I mean, he, you know, he knows where his point is and he knows what, he knows what to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with Phil. Phil always impresses me with his knowledge. Now, I'm sure you've ran across some crazy rulings during your career. What would you say is the craziest ruling you've ever had to make during a tournament? Well, uh, it was at Firestone. Uh, it was on the ninth hole. And, it, you know, when we're working, we'll have, uh, you know, we'll have anywhere from seven to nine guys working at a, at a site. And uh, this ruling call at nine was not in my area, but no one was answering the radio. So I kind of made my way over there, and uh, I guess Tiger, I didn't see any of this, but Tiger was in the right rough, and he caught a flyer and flew over the green and hit on a cart path, which jumped. The ball actually jumped on top of the roof of the clubhouse and rolled on the other side of the clubhouse. Oh, wow. So we had uh, television, you know, had all of this on television, and uh, – but, you know, this ruling took some time. We had a couple of groups play through while we worked through it. But uh, what ended up happening was his ball did go over the clubhouse. Some people, and in some cases, the clubhouse is, is a boundary, is out of bounds. But in, in this situation at Firestone, the clubhouse was in play. There, there is a road probably about 20 yards, 30 yards behind the clubhouse that we used as the boundary. And, uh, but his ball went over the clubhouse and it dropped down and was at rest on the backside of the clubhouse. Someone had picked that ball up and I had a police officer that was on the backside of the clubhouse, you know, just, just watching things go on. And, he said that a, a ball did land and come to rest here, and some guy picked it up. And when he picked it up, he says, look, I mean, do you think this could be Tiger's golf ball? Because it's got his name on it. So, oh, wow. So I used that as reasonable evidence and, uh, and, and ended up dropping him. You know, we, we, you know, now we've got to find a place to drop, and uh, that's what kind of took so long. I mean, finding the ball and finding the police officer, you know, to get that information from the policeman. Uh, that didn't, that probably took five minutes or so, a little bit longer than that. But then finding the place to, uh, to drop probably took about 10 minutes. You know, you can only imagine the fans and uh, the moving of people and kind of chaotic, to be honest with you. But, uh, but anyway, we got through it and I, I think he, he didn't hit a very good first chip, and then he went on to chip, get that next chip up and down, uh, made made bogey. Uh, but, I mean, I think he won that tournament about four or five times, so I think he won that week. But but anyway, that was, that was probably the most interesting ruling that I've had, and just so happened that it, it included, you know, Tiger Woods, who's – he's always treated me very – 
you know, very fairly and what a tremendous player and what a great, uh, you know, basically my, my whole rules official career was watching him, you know, dominate the tour. I, I never really thought that, that I would see that ever happen. You know, when, back when I played, Nick Price won six tournaments one year and I thought to myself that'll never happen again but you know we've had guys win win nine tournaments in a year I mean Phil's done it VJ's done it Tiger's done it yeah uh, and, I'm, and, and, and you know I, I just it, that's hard to believe you know well, I gotta know how was Tiger doing that whole process you're trying to make that ruling I mean how was he during that process he was he was fine very calm you know he he was he was fine uh you know, he was trying to help with moving people. Uh, you know, we had police been, policemen there. It's Gaddy was trying to help. But uh, I guess that's why he's such a great player. He, you know, he never, never lost his, never lost his temperament, you know. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier, too, about, you know, pace of play. And we had to let groups play through and stuff. And I know that can be an issue on the PGA Tour. Lord knows if it's an issue on, on public courses. Has that improved? And do you feel like that's improved? And if so, what can be done to improve it further? You know, Steve, I, pace of play is an, is an issue. And, and in some play, and, and there's so many different uh, parts of the, of the problem. You know, I mentioned playing 156 players. You know, we do play some events that have, you know, 70 to 90, of, you know, players. Some of the invitationals, the Colonial Tournament. You know, Hilton Head Jack's tournament up at Memorial. You know, some of our world golf championships are limited man fields. And pace of play is not nearly the issue uh, at those smaller events, smaller field size events than they are at the bigger field size events. And the only thing I can really relate that to is you, you think of a an interstate. You know, if you if you've got a hundred cars on the interstate properly spaced, you're probably not going to have very many issues. Right. But then, but then if you put 200 on there, you, you're, it's going to be slower. I wish I knew the answer is something that that's probably about 70% of what we talk about on the radio is where players are, what they are over a time, you know, a time par that we're looking at. And, uh, you know, whether we're warning groups, whether we're timing groups, you know, we, our policy now about pace of play is we warn a group before we time a group. And uh, so, you know, when, whenever somebody warns a group, you have to put it out on the radio so that if that group comes into your area, you know that they've been warned so that you don't, you know, you don't warn them the second time, then the next time that they're out of position, they've lost time then you just time them. But Steve, I wish I knew the answer. You know, there's nothing more frustrating than, than slow play. It would be very difficult for me to go up to someone and tell them that, that they've got a stroke penalty because they took too long, but maybe that's an answer. As, as of right now, you know, that's, that's not what, uh, you know, we're doing. Uh, you know, obviously the USGA and the RNA uh, make up the rules of golf, which is what we play by. And then we have a, an, a board, a player board, which consists of four players. And we have a player advisory 
council, which consists of 20 players. And the, the, the council advises the board uh, to come up with our policies. And, you know, our pace of play is a policy that is, you know, brought up by the, by the players. Uh, now, obviously, we're not going to let them just run free. And, and, you know, the tour would have to step in if, if, if they thought that something was a little bit lax or something was missing in a, in a pace of play policy. But, but that's how we get to, you know, our policy, our pace of play policy. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, threatening with a, a stroke penalty would, I would think, definitely grab their attention. I mean, it's like if we go out on the course now at Willow Creek or, you know, we tell them, hey, you know, if you don't speed up, you got to get you guys to skip a hole. And that's the last yeah. thing they want to hear. The last thing we want to do is get on to somebody about pace of play. It's just extremely uncomfortable. You don't want to have to do it Yeah, um, for both parties. And yeah. it's just a matter of, you know, obviously setting up the golf course to where it can – it can Play fast. Play fast, yeah. <laughs> and in groupings and, and, and tee times and space and tee times properly, those things certainly help. Uh, yep. But, yeah, I mean, you, it makes total sense what you're saying. I mean, if you, if you reduce the field a little bit, and obviously the pace of play is going to do a lot better. Uh, yep. I know there's probably no magic answer out there, but it's something we continue to battle every day uh, at public and private golf courses. And, uh, obviously, on tour, it, it becomes an issue as well. It, it, it is an issue. And uh... – you know, I, I look at it every day when I'm working, and I guess what I come down, what it comes down to for me is that pl some players are just not ready. You know, yeah. when, when if, if, Steve, if you're playing, I need to be preparing to play my next shot. If we're playing together, and I, and I guess that's what burns me up the most is that, you know, you just see people that aren't, they're not ready. You know, when right. it's their turn to play, and, you know, if you're second or third to play out in the fairway, you need to be preparing. And sometimes I just don't think they're prepared to play. I agree. You know, ready golf. I talked about that in my last podcast. And, yep. you know, instead of waiting until it's your turn, to, you know, what's the yardage here? What's this hole yeah. do? Is it my turn? And I said yeah. in the podcast, the paint's drying, people. I mean, we got <laughs> we got to start hitting the ball. <laughs> It it, uh, it it drives me crazy too. I mean, even when I'm out playing, you know, you you, you tee you tee off, and let's say you're teeing off in ten minute intervals, and you get around thirteen or fourteen, and and the group in front of you, you know, you can see them, but two holes, you know, are open in front of those guys in front of you. It's yeah. very frustrating, you know. No doubt about it. And and you want people to come out. You want people yeah. to enjoy the game. You want to in, introduce you know, youth and, and people to the game. And, sure. and, and, it's, and it's not a race, but there has to be some consideration for other people, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. And I think that's yeah. what it boils down to, whether it's on, on the tour and what you deal with or what yeah. we deal with at a, at a golf course. It's yeah. about thinking about other people and Absolutely. yourself, you know. And when you think yeah. about other people around you, whether it's in your group or there's people behind you, when you yeah. get focused on that, I think that in itself, yeah, drastically improved pace of play. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know how it works. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so, you know, the uh, rules changed last year. Um, not, I, I was I, I liked a lot of the rule changes that they did last year. But if there was one rule you could change or modify now, what would that be? Well, I've, 
I've thought about this for a little while. And uh, <clears throat> the one thing that we deal with on tour that you're probably not going to deal with, you know, at a, a state amateur, you know, tournament or a club tournament <clears throat> is that we have equipment, you know, issues. You know, we have guys that are cracking drivers, you know, a hairline crack or something happens to a club, you know, trying to hit a shot out of a, out of a penalty area or a creek or whatever, and it, and it bangs into a rock and it dents it up. So if I could, if I was king, I would say that when you tee off in a tournament, day one, you're, you're playing with those 14 clubs that you have selected. And until you completed that 18-hole round, that is what you're playing with. If you crack a driver, if you break a club, and you can't use it for 18 holes or for the rest of that round, you're down to 13 clubs. And, and so it, on the tour, we have the luxury of a player can call for a ruling. We'll show up. We're in a cart. It, if it has become where it's nonconforming or he cannot use it and he did it in a normal course of play, then he can <clears throat> either – you know, repair that club or he can take that club out and replace it. And I don't really like that. Yeah. I think that the clubs that you choose to play with for those 18 holes, that's what you're playing with. That's about the only thing. I mean, I think the USGA and I think the RNA, they did a great job trying to simplify things. You know, in the beginning, a lot of players made fun of the, the drop, you know, because you're dropping it down around your knees and the rules body was trying to get the players to drop a ball and for a ball to not roll very far from where you've dropped it. Now, obviously it's got a lot to do with slope uh, that you're dropping in, but, but I tell you what, the thing I've noticed is that when you drop it down around your knee area, the ball doesn't move very far. Right. And, uh, you know, where you used to drop it at shoulder height, it, it would move a little bit. And, you know, we <clears throat> there were some people that were on the page of just place the ball and go. But the rules body, uh, the rules organizations, USGA and the RNA, they wanted that ball to travel a little bit in the air, you know, so it was a little bit subjective as to where it was going to go. And, uh, and I, think they, I think they did a great job. You know, I think they, they've got a very difficult job to do, and they, they do a good job at it. What advice would you give listeners on becoming more knowledgeable and comfortable with the rules of golf? Obviously, they can pick up a rules of golf book, start reading through it, but sometimes that can be a little, little intimidating to some, to some people. I mean, there, there's apps out there that they can download. What, what would yeah, you the, suggest? The USGA has a great app, and, uh, and they have kind of a player-friendly app as well. I know that a lot of people think of the rules and maybe a little bit in a negative light, but the way I look at it is if you love a game and you want to play a game, you know, that a lot of people think that, you know, the rules are there to penalize, but you know, the rules are there to help and to get you playing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you hit a ball and, uh, and you hit it, if you're playing the ninth hole at Willow Creek and you, you snap hook it over there 
across the road, you need to know how to finish the hole. Right. And, and so the rules are there to, to, to help you with that. You know, if you do play tournament golf, don't hesitate to go and ask someone. Don't hesitate to go and ask your club pro, you know, well, what do I do in a situation like this? Or what do you do, you know, it, when, when I hit the ball in the water, I can't go get the ball. Now, how do I, you know, how do I finish? You know, how do I, how do I proceed, you know, to finish that hole so that I can comp complete my round? And I would just look at it that way as a, you know, versus as being a negative light of penalty strokes and stuff like that. You know, how do I finish the round? And I never liked the guy that always thought that he knew the rules and, and he was always looking for something to happen. You know, I never liked that guy before. And I like to think that we're not like that. You know, we, we kind of sit back and we wait for a ruling call and then we help, you know, help the player to proceed. And, right. uh, and, and sometimes it does, it, it is a penalty stroke, but you know, we're, I'm not out there in the woods with binoculars looking for somebody to, to breach a rule. Well, that's not, that's not my job, but, I would just tell people to just ask questions, you know, and don't be bashful or don't be embarrassed, you know, because who knows everything? I mean, not very many people do. No, you know, I agree. I mean, as, as a PGA professional, they, when we're learning the rules of golf, they, they tell us, look, you can, there's no way you're going to learn everything in this book. We want you to be able no. to use the book to your advantage, be able to go to exactly. the book in a certain way. They put us in front of a big TV screen, show us all these rules and practices. We go to the book as fast as we can, find the ruling. Yeah. And that was the whole part of me doing this five-part series on the rules of golf because I've heard so many times where people get so intimidated by the rules, they get frustrated, yeah. and they yeah. look at it, like you said, in a negative light as opposed yeah. to looking at it in the sense of, hey, the rules are there to help you, not yeah. hurt you, so let's yeah. become more comfortable with them. Let's be more relaxed when it comes to learning the rules and don't feel so much pressure that you got to get it right all the time. And like you said, ask those questions. That's totally yeah. fine. I have to ask questions. That, absolutely. I do too. That's why we have radio. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just like when you're learning to drive, you know, there's rules of the road. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying everybody does it, you know, but, but there, you know, you have to learn, you have to learn a little bit and you know, make it fun. Don't make, you know, don't, don't make it, you know, uh, and, and like you said, just, just ask questions. Yeah. Well, Dillard, listen, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to come on this podcast. I've greatly enjoyed this conversation with you and, and learning your background, learning what it takes to be a rules official on the PGA tour. Thank you so very much for, for coming on the podcast today. Steve, I had a great time and, and, you know, my lap, my lap, you know, I'm, I'm uh, going to be retiring here at the end of, December 1st of January so you might see me out at Willow Creek you know the times that I've played out there it's been absolutely fantastic and uh and and I've always enjoyed playing there and I hope to see you out there thank you come on out you know you have a home with us we'd love to see you all right Steve thank you so much thank you Dillard Thank you very much for listening to episode number nine today. Your download and your support is tremendously appreciated. I cannot tell you that enough. It just absolutely warms my heart when I have people come up to me and tell me that they've listened to my podcast. It means that what I'm doing is entertaining you and hopefully, again, inspiring you and educating you. That's, again, the whole purpose of this podcast. So, again, thank you 
for taking time out of your busy day to push that play button and listen to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed learning more about the common mistakes that happen in a golf course, the rules of golf, ending that five-part series in regards to the golf ball and the teeing area, and again, that wonderful interview that I had with Dillard Pruitt, PGA Rules official. Dillard was a fantastic guest, and I really enjoyed my conversation with him, and I'd like to wish him all the best in his upcoming retirement. Don't forget to come see us at Willow Creek Golf Club. Visit our website at willow-creekgolf.com. Again, that's willow and a dash or a hyphen, creekgolf.com. And also visit my webpage, it's goforthgolfinstruction.com. Again, goforthgolfinstruction.com. You can see my lesson rates on there. You can also read my teaching philosophy. Contact me and let me know what's going on with your game. What do you need help with? And we can get that lesson set up. Episode number 10 will drop next month in the month of November. And I will be taking listener questions, so be on the lookout on my social media page to submit a question to me, or you can always email it to me at sgoforth at pga.com. Again, sgoforth at pga.com. Let's hear your questions. I want to get as many as I possibly can for episode number 10. Until next time, I hope you hit them long and straight, hit those fairways, hit more greens and regulation, have less putts in your round, and most of all, have fun. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game. You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game.